Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. So, uh, forgive me, my heart is pretty full this morning, so if I uh, get a little choked, it's because, well, several things, so let me list them for you. Um, man, that, that kid's ensemble was just crushing it, and they did a great job of singing. It's in fact, let's give them a hand. They did a great job singing this morning. It is also very, very good, very cool to see the dream of God come together. And I don't know if you noticed it, but my friend Ray and his daughter Bethany were here, and they lead the gathering church that worships here on Thursday nights. And so thank you, Ray and Bethany. I don't see you right now. You're still in the room somewhere, but thank you. Oh, well, where, what? Where are they? Oh, thank you very much, guys, for being here. It was great to have you here. Also, another reason my heart's full is my friend Mark Wheeler's here. Let's say welcome home to Mark. Glad you're here, buddy. <laughs> Lastly, uh, I have spoken with the Wheeler family, and uh, this actually all came together late in the week, so it's not in the announcements and it's not in your worship folder, but would you please put on your calendar uh, 29th of, of the 29th of September, so 929, we're going to have... The big Ron Wheeler celebration cookout. So that is 929, and we're going to ask you to be a part of it. Um, it'll be $5 per person or $20 for family, no matter how many people you have in your family. And we will probably at some point come to your Sunday school class because we're going to invite all the other congregations to that celebration because Ron would have, amen? Right? Uh, and so uh, if you just need to know that at some point you're going to hear from your Sunday school class. If you're not in a Sunday school class, and then there are other ways that you could help us to make sure that we have enough for everybody. So that's 929 after the morning worship service. We're in a series called Cover Psalms. Um, am I missing something? Or are you? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. All right. All right. All right. All right. Uh, we're in a series called Cover Psalms. And what has happened, and it's based on this thought, that, the, the, that the, the book of Psalms, right there in the middle of your Bible, these are songs that we're supposed to cover. And what I mean by that is we're supposed to sing them and make them our own because these songs, if you give them an opportunity to kind of help you to navigate the life of faith, the life of, of Christianity, the life of belief, even these Old Testament songs. And so we've asked you throughout these weeks to, to do one of a couple of things. Maybe write your own song. Ray wrote his own song for one of the, the psalms that we covered. And then other people have found other songs that make them think of the psalm that we'll be preaching that particular day. And then there are people who are going to do what my friend Chris is about to do, who actually sing a rendition of the psalm itself. And so would you please help me welcome Chris Yates, who's going to do Psalm 139 for us. And you know me, you 
know when I sit, you know when I rise, you know what I think, you know where I'm going, nothing, oh Lord, can hide from your eyes, you close me in, behind and before me, you shield me with your mighty Much for me to understand. Where can I go to flee from your spirit and from your presence? Where can I hide? Behold, up in heaven, you're there beside me in the depths of the darkness. You're by my side, and if I rise on the wings of the morning or settle on far side of the sea even there your hand will guide me your right hand is holding me guys, Chris, I like your toy guitar. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. I know it's a mandolin or a violin. I can't remember which. It's one of those two. Uh, so uh, a word of warning about this particular psalm. Um, a couple of words of warning. Um, it's got some pretty salty language in it. And I have made the decision a long time ago, even on Kids Sundays, we're not going to protect the kids from what's in the Bible. Amen? Can you do that? Yeah. That, that maybe part of what the, we struggle with a little bit is this sense of appropriateness that keeps us from actually hearing the hard, rugged, rugged, earthy words in Scripture. So you will be hearing some of that today. Matter of fact, uh, and here comes a second warning, um, though that was a beautiful, folky rendition of Psalm 139. It was really good. Thank you, guys. Uh, this one kind of reminds me of a country song because, because, A, I think I heard it as a country song a long time ago, but, but like so many country songs, it takes a dramatic turn in, in the middle, and you can go from love to hate pretty quickly uh, in, in this song. And so uh, for your viewing pleasure, a pleasure, I've come up with some real, these are real country titles of some songs that demonstrate that uh, they can do what Psalm 139 does, these, these love relationships that have turned out badly. For example, how can I miss you if you won't go away? These are actual songs. 
It gets worse, I promise. There is How Come Your Dog Don't Bite Nobody But Me by uh, Mel Tillis. This is particularly ugly. I wouldn't take her to a dog fight because I'm afraid she'd win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If the phone don't ring, baby, you'll know it's me. I keep forgetting that I forgot about you. Um, here's some good ones. I'm so miserable without you. It's just like having you around. <laughs> actually gets worse. <laughs> Thank God and Greyhound you're gone. <laughs> you done tore my heart out and stomped that sucker flat. <laughs> These last two, man. Uh, you're the reason our kids are so ugly. <laughs> oh, man. And this one is inappropriate. I'm just telling you ahead of time it's inappropriate, and I'm going to get to why we need to consider uh, its inappropriateness. Uh, she got the ring and I got the finger. Anyway. <laughs> but any more appropriate, inappropriate than what actually is in Scripture. I mean, we had those beautiful words read so beautifully by Miles. Great job, Miles, in reading the Scripture today. I am glad we did not have that sweet voice read verse 19. Because it would have been something like this. Oh, that you would kill the wicked. I don't want to hear Miles read this. Oh, God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Or verse 22. I hate these enemies of mine with a perfect hatred. Amen. I count them my enemies. What in the world? You guys, this is in Scripture. And sometimes Scripture is worse than a country song. Amen. But we have to wrestle with it. We have to deal with it. We have to struggle with it. Because it's there. What might it mean? Well, let's, let's start with this. If you're going to cover one of these psalms, and this is one that we probably ought to, need to cover, then I need you to try to find that empathy gear. I'm going to give you what we believe to be the story behind the psalm, and I need you to start to get in touch with what it might, might have felt like to be the singer. It seems that the singer of Psalm 139, the original artist, let's say, had been accused of something, something terrible, something bad enough that it would be ruinous to his or her reputation. Beyond that, it seems to have been a false accusation. So but before we go any farther, I want you to kind of sit with that for a minute and imagine what that must be like. Have you ever been falsely accused? I have. You have. You just may not know it, but you have too. Have you ever been falsely accused and the accusation is such that if left unattended, the accusation could be ruinous, ruinous to your reputation? So much so that it sends you scurrying into the arms of God. So this is a song that is written and sung by someone who has been accused falsely of something so bad it sent him running or sent her running back into the temple to say to God, hang on God, you know me better than this. You know me better than this. But I, I want you to sit with it just a minute more before we get into the scripture though. If you have ever been accused falsely, if you have ever been accused of something that would take a chunk out of your reputation, out of the image that you hold in other people's eyes, and maybe even out of your own sense of self, 
If you have ever been accused of something, that's bad enough. But when it's false, but when it's false, all of a sudden it feels like life itself is unfair and sometimes it feels like God is absent. And so this singer sings this song, throwing herself, throwing himself into the arms of God to say, God, surely you know me better than this. Surely you know me better than this. Now, what takes center stage from here on out is not the accusation, nor the false nature of the accusation. What takes center stage from here on out, just to give us ears to hear, is the intimacy between the singer and the singer's God. So let me give you a question to consider as we start to move through that. Is intimate a word that you would use to describe your connection with this God? If the answer is yes, great, great. Someone has done some really good work in you and for you, perhaps even through you. If the answer is no, hear me say this, there is something better and something more in front of you where a relationship with God is concerned because there can be There can be the kind of intimacy that we will see unfold in the verses before us here. There can be more than you and God being on a first-name basis. But perhaps you too, like the singer, might be able to say, God, you know me. You know me. So that's how it begins. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. Okay, we are not here talking about this giant category called omniscience. Okay, God knows everything. But that, this is poetry. This is not a scientific treatise of some kind, right? So you need to hear this with the ears and the imagination of the poet and not some sort of a scientist. This is not about omniscience. This is about intimacy, This God knows this person the same way I know certain restaurants, I know exactly what Kelly's going to order. I can order for her at Brahms immediately. I can. You know why? Because we've known one another for a long time. There is a relationship, an intimate relationship between this singer and this God, and this singer is leaning into that intimacy, perhaps out of desperation, saying, you know me. Other words that you won't have on the screen, you search out my path. Am I lying down? You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in. Behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, so high that I can't attain it. And I wanted to read, I'm going to read a lot to you today. These are verses that weren't necessarily included in the lectionary, but I want you to hear these verses too. Listen to this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Good news and bad news there, right? Because sometimes you do want to flee. (laughs) But the singer says, I can't. I can't flee from your presence. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is a concept for a God-forsaken place where God is absent, at least where he was told that God is absent, if I make my bed in Sheol, guess what? It's not God-forsaken and you're not absent. You are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. 
If I say on a bad day, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For better or for worse, God, I am not leaving your presence. For better or for worse, God, you can see me. For better or for worse, God, you know what I'm thinking on my best days, on my worst days. For better or for worse, it's you and it's me. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's room. Room or womb? I think it says womb. Verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully, this does not mean terror here, I'm awestruck for how I'm made, fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful all your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. Again, this is not science, not even theological science so much. I don't want you to hear here, oh, okay, see, God did write all of the days ahead of time and, and come to a sort of a, a predestination. Sort of, that's not what's going on here. It's poetry. Trying to explain the intimacy, trying to put poetic, artistic words to the intimacy between, and this is really important, between this singer and this singer's God. Verse 17. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I'm still with you. I love this. The, the singer is awash, awash in this intimacy. Perhaps even now struggling to find the kinds of words to attach to this relationship, the nature of this relationship. How do you describe that which cannot be described? And how can you count all of the different ways that God has demonstrated God's love and purpose for you? It's almost like an exasperation. The singer gets to the end and says, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I just know this. I'm with you, and you're with me. That's good stuff. <laughs> that is good and helpful stuff. And I want to ask you again, church full of really good people, some of whom have been in churches for years and years and years and yet have been able to avoid intimacy with God. There are people who can attend church for decades and decades and they know very well how to articulate the boundary line beliefs of the tradition. I can tell you what we are supposed to believe, but knowing about God and knowing God are two different things. I, I like that we are a smart church. I, I, like, I like that our roster of teachers is just lined with folks who know what they're talking about. And they are going to add to your knowledge about faith, about church, about God. But all of those people are just as, if not more, passionate about you knowing God than you knowing about God. Do you know God? Do you know about God or do you know God? The hope of this pastor, the hope of this church, the hope of all of the pastors before has been this, that you would know God so deeply and fully that it would just hit you like a ton of bricks that you are already known by God. This is the way I like to say it to you. How about this? God knows 
everything there is to know about you and still chooses you. (laughs) Wow. I want you to feel that. I want you to allow that to be, oh, man, the baseline, the very foundation of what it means to be a person of faith, that I am known by this God, that this God still loves and chooses me. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, at least until verse 19. (laughs) And then, bang, oh, God, please kill my enemies. Now, what do we make? What do we make of this? Because, right, it it makes for a beautiful country song. (laughs) Could have stopped right there. It makes for a beautiful song of any kind. Why couldn't we have just stopped author of the song? Why could we not have just stopped with verse 18? Did we have to get to the ugly parts, right? Seems like this kind of stuff should not be in Scripture. Well, why not? Why, sh- why shouldn't this be in Scripture? Because, John, good people don't think this way. Newsflash, yeah, they do. And, and maybe that's why it's in Scripture. You see, this intimacy that I've been talking to you about, this closeness that I've been talking to you about, that some of you know, some of you know, you feel it in your bones, and some of you don't know. Some of you in the room wonder what I'm talking about. It's not that you're not interested. If I could just give you a a medication to, to get it, you might take it. This intimacy that I'm talking about is so deep and pervasive that you, like the singer, actually have opportunity to say the very real things that are on your mind and heart. How should we enter into the church, the sanctuary? How should we enter into relationship with God? Are we only able to enter into an intimate relationship with God when on our best behavior, or can we be honest? Turns out, canonized in Scripture, in Psalm 139, there is great evidence that you can be honest, even in ugly sorts of ways, with a God with whom you enjoy this deep intimacy. No, good people should not think or sing or pray such things. You are right, and yet here it is. I'm, I'm going to read it out loud. If you need to, please cup the ears of your children. Listen to this. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, oh God. And that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Here's verse 20. Those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Verse 21, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do do I not loathe those who rise up against you? Verse 22, you can be proud of me, God. I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Uh, We should probably take a vote whether or not to take this psalm out of the Bible. But it's there. 
It's there. And it being there tells me that God is just thick-skinned enough to know what you really think. That God, who does know you, everything that there is to know about you, the stuff that makes you you, God can handle when you say what is on your mind and your heart. You know what that is? Intimacy. Can I tell you something about the friendships in which you can't say what you really think and feel? They're, they're not quite as tight as you need them to be. But Scripture, you guys, hear this. Scripture, Scripture contains this ugly language, and it seems to be communicating this, that God can handle it if someday you double up your fist and you say, this isn't right, God. You swung and you missed, God. Or, I hate them, God, right? Psalm 139, verse 22, is not the last word. <laughs> Immediately, the singer goes to this. Deep breath, everybody. Search me, O oh God. And know my heart. And test me. And know my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me into life everlasting. So yes, the ugliness is there. Yes, the singer owns his or her angry, ugly, hate-filled feelings for the other and yet goes to this. Okay, God, I am giving myself to you. You who knit me together in my mother's womb. You who fashioned me. I'm giving myself over to you again so that having heard the ugliness that you've heard in me, see if there's any wicked way in me. If there's anything that needs to change in my mind and heart. Uh, yeah, yeah, verses 19 to 22. Okay, then I give myself to you all over again. Work on me. I asked my Sunday school class this this morning. In so many words. Why don't more people come to this altar? This one. Not that one. I, I want you to come to that one too. That one's for healing. And again, you'll hear this later. We'll pray for any kind of healing there. Any kind. This one though. Why don't more people come to this one? And here's one of the statements. If you go to this altar, people think there's something wrong with you. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, if you go to this altar, people will think you have something to work on. Do a quick experiment right here. Quick show of hands. How many of you in the room would admit that there's something in your mind and heart and life that God would like to work on? Then why aren't more of you here? We need Psalm 139, I'm telling you. Here's why we need it. Here's why we need it. We need the permission that comes from reading and taking seriously verses 19 through 22, that, that ugly stuff that exists in each of us, me included, your pastor. Wait a minute, pastor, you're supposed to be without sin. You're going to be very disappointed. <laughs> we also need verses 23 and 24 that say, 
given what you've just heard from me, God, the ugliness, the hate-filled stuff, work on me. Help me. Pull weeds. There's a crack in this pottery. Help me. There's another passage that was handed today. It comes from Jeremiah 18. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. God said to Jeremiah, come, go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words. And so I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel. Listen to this. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O church? O, fill in your name, O house of Israel, just as the potter has done, says the Lord. Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. But what will people think if I own that I'm a crackpot? <laughs> Especially on a, on a kid's Sunday, what will people think? Because my kid is right here. And what if I go to the altar and own that I'm a crackpot? What, what do we think will be more helpful to the people who are watching us, perhaps with some bated breath in the hopes that we would somehow put skin and flesh on the presence of God. And sometimes they're kids, and sometimes they're not kids, they're peers, but when are we most likely to put skin and flesh on the presence of God? Is it when we are very careful to hide the cracks in our pots? <laughs> Or is it when we recognize the power and the vitality of testifying right out loud, yep, I'm still on the potter's wheel. I'm still on the potter's wheel. Just like the singer of Psalm 139. That singer had some ugliness that he had to get out, that she had to get out. And now that it's out, it says, okay, God, You've known me from the get-go, from the jump. You've known me. You, you, you're everywhere that I am. I can't get away from you. I have owned all of this, and now, God, see if there's any wicked way in me that needs to be worked out. Here's another way to say it. If in any sense intimacy with God sounds good to you, please make sure that it's an intimacy that goes both ways. Because perhaps, like certain chapters in my life, I was very much interested in an intimacy that would cast me as the kid who would climb up in God's lap and just be embraced. God, let me have access to your heart. God, let me have access to your mind and your heart. But what God is after is the kind of intimacy that would give, give God access to your heart. Yes, yes, 
You have access to God's heart. The question is, does God have access to your heart? Does God have access to your heart? Does God have the permission to say, this, this crack right here, climb up onto this wheel because I, I will do, you, if you'll let me, says God, we'll put you back on this potter's wheel and what will result is something that is both beautiful and useful. Check your heart. Do you want a one-way intimacy? I want to be able to crawl up in God's lap, but I want God to leave me alone after that because I don't know how to be anything other than what I've been. Because what God is after is an intimacy that goes both ways. Let me tell you what your kids need. Your kids don't need you to be perfect. They need you to be honest. Let me tell you what your peers need. The folks who are around you, even the folks who are accusing you falsely, let me tell you what they need. They need your honesty and integrity more than they need your flawless perfection. Because by the way, none of us believes that about you anyway. This is another thing, and I'm about done actually. Something else I heard in Sunday school today, you're always afraid of what people are gonna think. And that's true, we do think things. Can we own that? We do. Like, what's wrong with them? Although, I, I need to say, well, like I said to them, I'll say this to you. Over the years, over the years, I think I can plot the people who are going to be great leaders among us and great leaders in this whole kingdom movement. And it's not the people who didn't make mistakes, it's the people who are honest about the mistakes that they've been making. In many traditions, the bread and the cup is referred to as the host. The host. You know what a host does, right? A host welcomes. Sort of embedded in this word host is this sense that a host welcomes. The host welcomes all crackpots to the table today. And let me take some pressure off of you, I'm telling you, whatever energy you're expending trying to tell people that you do not have problems, we don't believe it anyway, so you can stop doing that. I think all of us, in our honest moments, are able to look in the mirror and say, man, I have problems, and probably most, if not everybody, has something that they're working on, that God is working on. We all probably are or ought to be on the potter's wheel. And so the host who welcomes the broken places in your pottery says, come, come. My brokenness can heal your brokenness.
My brokenness can heal your brokenness. If you're helping us today to set this table, would you please go ahead and come on? Come on down. If you are visiting with us today, we do this every single week. Every single week we come to the table. This is our response time. Looks like we're going to have some good junior leaders helping us with this today. Very good. We take communion around here every week by intention. And that means that we actually dip the elements. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And with them, God, tell us something about you and tell us something more about how you see us. Use these elements, God, to strengthen us to be your people, to strengthen us to own that we have places in our hearts that sound a whole lot like verses 19 to 22. And strengthen us, God, with the resolve that's, that we're going to need if we're going to ever climb back up on that potter's wheel. Forgive us, God, if we have been that place that judges too harshly people who make their way to an altar and heal us of the damage, damage meted out, whether it's by this church or any other church that has left people with this sense that they aren't safe to be broken. Heal us of that damage and draw us back to this table and these elements and your grace. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and then exit your pew to the left. And then I'd ask you to come forward. You'll come forward to someone holding a plate of bread. And when you do, please come like this. Please come like this with your hands cupped, ready to receive this gift of grace, this gift of grace. As you get close right over here, Matt will snap off a piece of bread and press it into your hands and look you straight in the eye and say, this is the broken body of Christ now broken for you. Don't eat it just yet. Take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup right here. Dip it into the cup, and when you do, she will say to you, this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat. And then, after that, after eating, find a place to pray. Now, if you still, if you still don't feel comfortable here, that's okay. Just circle back around to your pew and pray. I'm fairly certain God can still hear you, even if you pray there at your pew. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing, and somebody, it'll be Lee over here, if Lee and Ken can help us over here, and then Kristen, are you over here? And Pastor Daniel over here. We'll meet you. We'll meet you and pray those prayers for healing. Now, it could be physical healing, but it might be relational healing. It might be spiritual healing. It might be familial healing. I don't know, mental, whatever it is. If you need healing, we'll pray that prayer for you and anoint you with oil, representative of the tangible and sticky presence of the Spirit in your life. Or you can come to one of these kneeling benches up here, mourner's benches at times. And we don't know why you're coming. We don't know. It doesn't matter. We don't have to know. But at some point, at some point, somebody will touch you on the back, the neck, the shoulder, and let you know that you're not alone because this is really important. You're not alone. If you come today and own your cracked places, the person who touches you will also, in a show of solidarity, be owning his or her damaged places as well. 
If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie will come to you. There is a bowl of water here meant to remind you of the moment of your baptism. If you need to be reminded that you're in, that you're in, then come and dip your fingers into this water and may the chill of the water remind you of the moment of your baptism. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way, later he took the cup and he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. That word covenant means, again, each week we're reminded that God knows what there is to know about you and chooses you and invites you still. So, my fellow crackpots, all around the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward. No one is compelled. If you don't want to participate, you don't have to, but all are invited, no matter what your day, your week, your month, your life. If you recognize your need for grace, you're at the right place. Now hear these lyrics. <laughs>